What's going on, Patriots? You're listening to the Republic Restored Podcast. I'm Joe. That's Anthony. You can find us on Twitter at Restored and on Instagram at Restored. If you'd be so kind, please go to the podcast listening app of your choice and give, leave us a five-star rating and review. So today, we have a very special guest. Usually, I ask Anthony how his week's going, but, you know, it's the same as last week. So, Ant, why don't you do the honors? Yeah, people are still quarantined. People are still out of work. Um, the city's upside down. But today, we have a special guest. Joe Calderera is with us. He is primarying Nicole Maliotakis for Congress in New York um, to take on Max Rose in November. Joe, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time. Anthony, Joe, thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor to be with you guys. It's an honor to have you. Um, so if you're not familiar with us, we, we like to ask the hard-hitting questions. We like to really get down to the core of who people are. Um, so with that said, what is your favorite movie? Let's break the ice. Godfather, part one. Part Short one. Shank Redemption is a close second. Wow, part one. My man, that's my top two. Yeah, part, is it really? Yeah, I swear to God. <laughs> I'm a part two guy myself. I, I respect the part one. Uh, I love part two as well, but, but part one's my favorite. You know, I could just watch that one time and time again. It seems like you always pick up something different, something you didn't notice the last time you saw it. So, uh, yeah, I'm a part one guy. Part one, part two, and, you know, I even have respect for part three. A, a lot of people, they say I really went south in part three, but I don't feel that way. I thought it was interesting the way they wrapped it all up. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I think it went <laughs> way south. <laughs> Agreed agree to disagree. Yeah. That's all right. Uh, so, Joe... Uh, Tell everybody, what made you get into politics? Well, you know, I uh, originally I was hoping to go to West Point when I was in high school. I attended Monsignor Farrell High School on Staten Island, old boys Catholic high school. And uh, my freshman year, uh, I had a, uh, an interest in going to West Point. So I decided to go by my local congressman's office. At the time, his name was Vito Fistella. And I wanted to get an internship in his office because, you know, to go to a military academy, you need a congressional letter of recommendation. So I uh, went into his office and figured if I get an internship, maybe that'll be a good way to, to work the letter of recommendation. Well, I was only 14 at the time. So the congressman staff, uh, they were very kind, but they said, look, you have to be 16 to work in a, in a federal office. Unfortunately, we can't hire you. Come back in two years. So I was a, a little bummed out. And I, walked out of the office and down the street from where the congressman's office was was uh, councilman vincent ignizio's office so i uh, oh, wow. walked into the councilman's office i was 14 at the time and his chief of staff was joe borelli he was a, a young 24 uh, year old man himself oh my goodness and, uh, we, we, we <laughs> sat down he was his chief of staff we sat down and we uh, we talked for a little bit and he invited me in the next week for a formal interview process and uh sure enough he said yeah sure You'll have a, a summer internship with us. And it really took off from there. You know, uh, working in his office that summer, I just had a, a great love for constituent services and helping the community and going to the community events. Now, I was a 14-year-old kid. What did I really do? I answered phones, and I got to go out to different events with the councilman, with the chief of staff. To me, it was, it was just the greatest thing on earth, learning about the issues and feeling that I was helping the community. So from that point, I, uh, I stuck with it, and I worked for the councilman all throughout high school. I ended up being his uh, community liaison at one point and was uh, working very closely with constituent services. And then I went down to college, worked for Michael Grimm on Capitol Hill. And, uh, you know, I, I always had an interest in public service. So I graduated law school and started working at the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office. 
And I figured I'd run for office one day, but, but much later down the road. I never thought that I'd jump into a, a congressional race at 27. And that being said, when I saw that Nicole Maliotakis was the only one running on the Republican side, and, and that no other Republicans on Staten Island were going to primary her, I, I said, we need a real conservative. So if nobody else is going to do it, I better jump into this race. That's what I decided to do. I was impressed. You certainly did more at 14 than I did because I was putting Mentos in Coke bottles. So. <laughs> <laughs> True story. We've been in and out back here. Yeah, those were the days. I did that once or twice, too. <laughs> oh, you had the time? God bless you. I don't know how you made the time. <laughs> All right, so, Joe, we're going to get really deep into it now. Uh, so you've recently secured the endorsement of the NRA. Um, when you win the primary and when you uh, beat Max Rose, yes. is, there, um, is there anything specifically that you'd push for on the federal level to make sure that your constituents can more effectively exercise their Second Amendment rights? Well, certainly. So I'd fight all of this liberal, progressive Nicole, progressive Nicole Maliotakis-style legislation that people are looking to pass now at a federal level. You know, these red flag laws are, are just despicable. They're disgusting. And, and part of what I uh, take offense to in the SAFE Act, which Nicole Maliotakis voted for, the Secure Ammunitions and Firearms Act, is something called red flag laws. And for your viewers who may not know, red flag laws allow our Second Amendment rights to be deprived without the due process of law, meaning that without a judge and without a court signing off on it, you can have your guns taken from you. And the only way you can get them back is if the burden of proof now shifts to the citizen who has to make a case to the court and to the government to get their guns back. That's antithetical to everything we stand for as Americans and citizens of this great country. And it's despicable that Nicole Maliotakis would vote for a piece of legislation like that. That's why I imagine she has a C-minus rating from the National Rifle Association. And when I go down to Washington, D.C., you can bet that I'm going to fight to make sure that we keep our Second Amendment rights, and I'll fight to pass legislation that ensures we continue to keep our Second Amendment rights and fight back against all of these progressive state actions and these local state laws like the SAFE Act, which deprive us of our rights. You know, the Second Amendment, uh, it, it really serves two purposes. If you look at our founding fathers' documents and, and subsequently uh, the elected officials in our country who wrote about the importance of the Second Amendment in the early to mid-19th century, they speak about two important reasons for having it. One is to overthrow a tyrannical government. And then two is to protect us in, in times of civil unrest like what we're seeing just now. And we have every right as American citizens to bear, keep and bear arms. And, and anyone who infringes on that right is really an enemy to the American people. That's how strongly I feel about this. As a Brooklyn assistant district attorney, I was the first guy who wanted to get illegal firearms off the street. That being said, you and I have the right as American citizens to bear arms. And we need to main, maintain that right and make sure that no liberal politicians like Nicole Maliotakis interfere with it. Amen, brother. Wow, I'm sweating. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah, if you could, if you could call the city and tell them to push my papers through, because I I submitted paperwork about a year and a half ago, and I still haven't heard anything. Yeah, coronavirus um, really pushed through my whole uh, my uh, push back my whole idea that maybe I wanted to go turkey hunting this next season. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now they're going to hold that, hold that as an excuse for the next few months, I'm sure. Oh, we can't get your papers through the coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There'll be another huge spike now because of the free test they're giving to the protesters. But that's uh, that's a whole other story. Um, you're from Staten Island. I know you worked in Brooklyn. 
Um, Staten Island, though, is really the epicenter of the opioid crisis in New York. Um, what exactly in particular is on your agenda once you're elected to make sure that our youth doesn't have readily, uh, you know, access to these drugs? Would you look to crack down on doctors or pharmacies? Um, maybe try and get more funding to the DEA and get them a little closer involved? Sure. So, so my, my two top priorities when going down to Washington are to fight back against this opioid crisis and to help children and families uh, who suffer with, with autism and, and other disabilities. They're completely underserved in the city of New York right now. To focus on the opioids, you know, I've lost three friends personally, three guys who went to Farrell with me through this opioid crisis. And I feel that it would be negligent of me not to make that a top priority in Washington, D.C., because this has affected our generation. This is a problem unique to, to my friends and to my generation of voters. And this is something that we've never seen throughout history before within New York City, that middle class families w- would be uh, hurt so dramatically and ravaged by drugs like they have over the past 12 years, specifically on Staten Island, the South Shore of Staten Island, but all around them. Staten Island. And when I go down to Washington, I'm going to focus on helping us in in two specific ways that I can mention right now. One is early intervention. Now, a lot of people talk about early intervention, but we never seem to allocate the federal funding necessary to, to get the resources required for early intervention. What we've seen is that speaking to children at fourth and fifth grade levels, like we've done these past 30, 40 years, is successful but it's a lot more successful if you can intervene even earlier in, in kindergarten, in first grade, in second grade. Now, I don't mean using explicit words like drugs or, or opioids to children that small, but to explain to them the fundamental basics of, of peer pressure and, and staying away from the bad stuff from an early age has shown quantifiably that it's very successful in keeping children of all economic backgrounds and races off the stuff. So that would be priority number one, to allocate the funding necessary to help with early intervention on both sides of the Verrazano Bridge. Secondly, we need to allocate the resources necessary for better inpatient programs and more comprehensive drug courts. Now, the drug court that we have in Brooklyn is a little bit better than than what we have on Staten Island, but what we need is to extend the inpatient programs, and that's very simple. What we need is more funding to keep these kids, to keep these men and these women inpatient inside of inpatient programs for a longer period of time so that we can get them off the stuff once and for all for good before we release them back into society and and give them a better hope of actually having a successful life and a successful future clean of this stuff we've seen how successful community courts are like judge calabrese's in red hook Uh, we need more of that community style court and and drug courts on both sides of the rosano bridge so allocating the funding and look Unlike Max Rose, who promised Staten Island and Brooklyn that he was going to pave every pothole when he became congressman, I'm not promising unrealistic things. If I wanted to fill potholes, I would run for city council. But I'm <laughs> looking to go down to Congress and represent us in Washington because that's where I feel I can effectuate change the most. And realistically, what I would be able to do is allocate funding for the opioid crisis, autism, and disability services. And that's what I'm going to do. Well, um, it it lines up perfectly with the president's agenda, also, and it's nice to hear that that's your view on it because I know he would he would support you one hundred and ten percent. 
Um, you said you went to Farrell. We both went to Zavarian on the other side of the bridge. Um, so we're we're kind of enemies, but we we share we share the uh, <laughs> we share the 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 same views on it. I mean, we both dealt with it um, firsthand. We've we've lost friends as well, so we look forward to you getting in there and actually making a change. Um, and why doesn't Melanie Takis ever talk about it? That's what I want to know. Why is she running a congressional campaign like she's still running against Bill de Blasio for mayor? How about focus on issues that you're going to be able to change when you get down to Washington, D.C., instead of constantly focusing on, on stuff that she can't fix, like the bail reform laws, for example, which are disgraceful reforms that went into effect because we had politicians, Republican leaders like Nicole Maliotakis, who spoke up when it was too late, after the fact. She, she has a lot to say about bail reform now that has passed legislation. Where was she when it mattered on, on the assembly floor? I'll tell you where she was. She was running for mayor. She's running for her next big political gig. Right, the past three years alone, she's run for three offices at the city, state, now the federal level. The people deserve better than that. She's been in office for the past nine years without a singular piece of legislation to show for it. It's disgraceful, Republican or Democrat alike. What matters are the local issues. That's what matters to people here, getting their kids off of drugs and getting resources for autism and disability services and helping the community. And all she seems to want to do is run for office prolifically on the taxpayer's dime. It's disgraceful. That's all she's done these uh, past few years. Yeah, it was always astounding to me how uh, politicians could go into federal office and uh, and not get a single piece of legislation passed. So, Joe, when you get elected, do us both a favor and report back and let us know what congressmen do um, when they're not passing legislation. <laughs> Will you? <laughs> you know what they're doing down there <laughs> yeah we, we would love to know because uh, you'll be spending a lot of time down there um and you should be be uh, advocating on behalf of your constituents which it seems as though you want to do um all too often though we do see priorities change once officials make it to dc um are you confident that you would be able to toe that line and still accurately represent your constituents unlike as you just mentioned max rose where he's been doing a lot of photo ops with Senator Schumer and AOC and just basically hobnobbing down in D.C.? Yeah, certainly, because, you look, Max Rose is in between a rock and a hard place, right? He ran as this moderate type of candidate. He, he ran as someone who was middle of the road, someone who was a veteran, and, and, of course, I honor him for his service. But he ran as someone who wasn't going to be very partisan. And what we've seen since is, is the proof is that he was, he was a pawn, by Nancy Pelosi, by the liberals, they recruited him. They said, oh, here's a guy with a Brooklyn accent. He speaks well. He's an Army guy. They'll vote for him in a, in a working-class, middle-class district like Staten Island and South Brooklyn. They'll believe he, he's a moderate type of a candidate, and then mm -hmm. he'll vote with us, lock Staten 95% of the time. And that's what he's done. Absolutely. The most appalling thing about Max Rose was... As you said, he ran as though he was going to be for the people. Didn't matter what, uh, which way they leaned when they voted. And then you just see him on on news networks uh, talking about impeachment. I, I just didn't think that that was his place. But yeah, that was a priority. Of his that was his top priority in going down to Washington was to impeach the president of the United States. He did his job. Now he's he's getting on Fox News and he's trying to you know backpedal a little bit and uh, and try and. Tell that same line again, that, that middle-of-the-road sort of uh, nonpartisan candidate. But, but nobody's buying it. We're not stupid in Staten Island and in Brooklyn, and, uh, and we know the truth. And, and that's, 
a big difference between me, Maliotakis, and Max Rose. You know, my campaign slogan is, is loyal to you. That wasn't just something I pulled out of my hat. That was by design. Because I knew going into this election that people were going to see that both Max Rose and Nicole Maliotakis are loyal to themselves and their own political agendas. They're not loyal to the people. And, and the reason why, Anthony, I'll be able to go down to Washington and stay true to my values and to my beliefs is because I'm choosing to run for this specific seat, this congressional seat. I'm not choosing to run for city council or assembly because I know that when you run for a local office like that within New York City, at times you may have to sacrifice your principles and your conservative values and beliefs. I'm not doing that. That's why I'm running for Congress. I can stay true to myself. I can stay true to my principles. And, and when I go down to D.C., I'm not looking to make this uh, a career. You know, the, the founding father's intention, if you read the, the original papers of our founding of our country, was to send someone down to Congress for a short period of time, really just one term in the House of Representatives. The, the idea was is that you send the farmer, the banker, the doctor, the lawyer down to D.C. for two years. They are oh, yeah. responsive to the people's needs and desires. And then they come back up, back to the district, and they go back to their job, and they pass it off to the next guy. And the reason for that, and that's why you know it's, it's a one term of two years, is because they didn't want these people to be political. They wanted them to not have to worry about their political futures and just vote on behalf of the people that they were representing. Unfortunately, this has become a career. So when mm -hmm. we talk about legislation, yep. Joe, that I'm looking to pass while I'm in Washington, D.C., I'm going to be a champion of term limits because I think we need to pass legislation, whether that be four or six or eight years, there needs to be some sort of cap on how long these congressmen and women can serve in federal office. Music to my ears. Mine too. Uh, there should be no reason why somebody goes down to D.C. for 30 years and gets nothing done and then wants to become president and doesn't remember their name. But, uh, Joe, quick question. Uh, how often do you think you would be able to come back home and speak face-to-face -face with your constituents? And Or if, um, if something prevents you from doing that, from physically coming home, do you have any plan to communicate uh, directly with your constituents more often than any other politician out there? Well, I hope to be able to come home at, at least every week. You know, I know there are some challenges that I may face in D.C. that may prevent me from doing that, but I would think that I'd come home every weekend. You know, uh, <clears throat> Washington from New York isn't too, too far. It's only about a four-hour drive, so I'd like to come home as much as possible so I could meet with the voters and stay in touch with the people who I'm going to, to represent. Uh, I haven't really thought about a plan for, you know, staying in touch with them once I'm down in D.C. I'm always accessible via my cell phone. If you look at my Facebook, a lot of people post all sorts of comments on my wall all day, and they want to know my opinion on this, my opinion on that, why aren't you talking about this thing or that thing? And it gets to be uh, so hard to keep up with all those comments that I just direct messages on my phone number and say, hey, give me a call in 15 minutes or half an hour. I'll speak to you about this issue. You know, I can't type it all out. So I plan on being as accessible as I am now, once I'm in Washington, D.C. Now, I know, you know, that's probably not so realistic, right, because I'll be very busy. But I'm really busy now, and I think I'm doing a, a pretty darn good job of it, if I may say so myself. So that's really important to me, is not to have any, any buffer in between me and the people. It's important that I answer my own questions to the press. It's important that I speak to constituents myself on Facebook and on Twitter, and, and that people really see that, look, 
They may not agree with every single thing that I'm voting on. They may not agree with every single issue that I stand for. But Republican or Democrat, I think they'll respect and admire the fact that at least they'll know where it's coming from and they'll know that I'm telling them the truth. And, and that's really all anybody wants, you know, even Republicans. Maybe I go down to Washington, D.C., and, and maybe, Anthony, you only agree with 75% of the issues I stand for or 75% of the things that I look to accomplish while I'm down there. But I, I expect that you would respect the fact that you know where I'm coming from. And even if you disagree with the logic or the ideology, that you would respect knowing at where I'm standing and, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and that's all that people can ask for from their elected officials. And what we see is that these people, these politicians, they get entrenched in the swamp. People like Nicole Maliotakis, who suddenly they stop caring about the people and they start just caring about their own political futures. I mean, Nicole Maliotak has put out an ad today. She's talking about all the hard work that she did during Hurricane Sandy. How many years ago was Hurricane Sandy? <laughs> right. What has she done for us since? Right. <laughs> what has she done for us since? I was there for you during Hurricane Sandy. What did you What did you actually do for us during Hurricane Sandy? And what have you done for us since? My neighbor was there too. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. I came home from college to help out. I mean, you know, Great. That's why we should elect you to Congress because you, you did your job as an assemblywoman at the time. Right. Yeah. I helped deliver food uh, into Staten Island. Maybe I should run for city council. There you go. Maybe you should. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe uh, you should. You, you pass as much legislation as Maliotakis has, so you have a good chance. There, there we go. go. Um, so Joe, Staten Island and Brooklyn are like we said before, scrappy, hardworking. We're blue collar areas. We respect every, uh, a representative who could who's not afraid to roll up their sleeves and fight for us. One of the reasons why Max Rose possibly got elected. Um, uh, so are there any past experiences from your time as a prosecutor that uh, you can say has prepared you for the quote-unquote arena, as they say in D.C.? Sure. Well, I've had a, I had a really tough boss when I was a prosecutor, specifically my first year at the DA's office. And uh, I won't say her name, but she was tough as nails. And uh, there were no excuses. Uh, everything had to be on her desk immediately when she asked for it and she would bombard you with questions on every single case and every single uh criminal complaint that you wrote up as a prosecutor and she was real tough on us so i think uh, that boss prepared me well for any sort of debate or argument that i'll be having on the house floor uh, in in dc but you know i guess the thing that prepared me most is that as a prosecutor you take an oath to seek justice and, you know, you're, you're swearing to something higher than yourself. You're swearing to, to something that <clears throat> you will commit to doing on behalf of, of the people of the state of New York, um, even if sometimes you disagree with the outcome of that result. And as a prosecutor, what makes being a, a criminal prosecutor so much more difficult than a defense attorney is as a prosecutor, you have to be honest. And you have to reveal <clears throat> to the other side uh, any information, Brady material, anything that would hurt your case, anything that uh, would exonerate the criminal defendant. And that's a very difficult thing to do for a lot of people because they say, oh, geez, look at this piece of information. I have access to this. The defense attorney doesn't know about this at the moment. If I turn this over, it may destroy my case. Should I withhold it? Should I turn it over? And any good and honest prosecutor, which is like most of the people I work with at the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, would turn that over. 
And it's just, it's holding yourself to a higher standard than the average person seeking justice. It's not about winning. It's about doing the right thing. And and that's the mentality that I'm going to bring with me to Washington, D.C. It's not always going to be about winning. It's not always going to be about passing the bill. It's not always going to be about beating the Democrats. It's going to be about doing the right thing because that's what America deserves. And that's what we deserve. Yes. Absolutely. I'm surprised My Cousin Vinny wasn't your favorite movie. <laughs> I'm taller than he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's not any sort of parallels. <laughs> uh, so, Joe, switching, uh, switching modes a little bit. Uh, when it comes to health care, we can all agree that Obamacare was a total disaster. Complete. Um, especially in regards to the individual mandate. Um, yes. So, you've said in the past that young people... Um, they shouldn't be penalized. They should be incentivized to get health care. Uh, what do you believe, what sort of incentives do you believe would, um, aid in, in getting young people to, to purchase, uh, health insurance? Well, I think getting jobs, right? Seeking jobs and and getting off of, uh, of government assistance and finding jobs, getting off of unemployment and going to work and, and seeking jobs that have health care for those people. So that's the incentive is, is to get off your mother's couch and to go to work and to actually get a job that has good health benefits. And we have so many wonderful jobs here in the city with great health benefits. I, I think, uh, I think that's what I'm pushing for. Sounds like a fair plan to me. Um, you've also mentioned in the past that you've been in support of, you would be in support of a flat tax um, or a national sales tax in lieu of the income tax. What do you personally believe would be a fair tax rate? Well, you know, I, I don't want to say that on air because I don't want to commit myself to something that I haven't done all my homework on yet. Fair so enough. I'm very honest with you. Yep. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't want to give a percentage, but I, I do think that there should be a, a fair percentage across the board that would, uh, that would be a much more fair system than what we have right now and what that percentage would be i'd like to discuss more closely with my advisors and you know once i get down to washington i would uh, i would discuss that more and, and do my homework on the issue but definitely uh, a flat tax across the board yeah that, that's more that's more than a fair response i mean the the reason it's such a hot button topic um with us specifically is because we're obviously in new york city and we see it every day that that is the main reason that people are fleeing this city. Businesses are fleeing this city. Our friends are leaving this city. I mean, the taxes are out of control here. Um, and now the governor and everybody wants to, to raise everything. I, I don't think that they should just have the, the power to do that. I, I, we agree that it should be more of a national, uh, a national implementation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm the only candidate in this race who has signed Grover Norquist's tax pledge in Washington, D.C., promising to never raise the people of Staten Island and Brooklyn's taxes when I'm in office, any office. And uh, Nicole Maliotakis has been an assemblywoman for nine years, and she's refused to sign that pledge. So I think, again, that shows a, a stark contrast between me and my primary opponent, who refuses to sign a tax pledge. Uh, in the event that she may want to raise taxes on the American people. Well, now I'm sworn to never be able to do that. And I think that's something the voters in New York 11 should take into consideration when they cast their ballots on, on June 23rd. It, but in addition in addition to that, you know, so many other social issues, we've touched on a few of them before. Uh, talk about uh, abortion. You know, I'm a pro-life candidate. 
Nicole Maliotakis has spent the last 10 years in Albany voting for taxpayer funding for abortion. So not only is it her position about a woman having a right to choose, but, but she thinks that you and I, as the citizens of this state, should have to pay for it. That's where our money is going to. And it's, again, it's, it's dishonest because now I see on the internet and in ads and advertisements that she claims to be pro-life. Uh, I don't understand how someone who votes for taxpayer funding for abortion can be pro-life. I, I think the voters would have a lot more respect for her if she was just honest and told them the way she feels about the issues, that she's pro-abortion, she's pro-gun control, and she's anti-Trump. Well, Nicole being anti-Trump um, is, a, is a very sensitive issue for us. Um, because we really, she, we really bought what she was selling when she was running for mayor against Mayor de Blasio. Um, and even the mayor called her out on some of the things that she had said and she defended herself and defended herself. And then you saw after the election, when she was running locally again, um, she really walked back all of her support for the president. Um, and we thought it was quite frankly disgusting. I mean, she realized who her true constituents were at the local level and she walked back the support and we thought it was sad. Um, but given given what Nicole has done in the past, um, we realize that in Washington, there may be times where you might disagree with something that comes out of the Oval Office that the president is looking to get done. And we understand that that doesn't mean that you don't support the president. Um, would you feel pressured in any way to support something that the president was looking to accomplish um, just because you didn't want to maybe be seen as doing what Nicole Maliotakis has done? Or would you stick to your to your morals and be against whatever it was? I think me running for this specific office at this specific time against this specific candidate is a testament to the fact that I don't give in to pressure. I mean, you think about running up against the establishments, how much pressure people put on me to stay out of this race. Uh, someone who, you know, the local establishment, in my opinion, has always, uh, has always thought very highly of who now decided to buck them and go against them and run against someone because I felt it was the right thing to do. You know, that's not an easy decision to, to go against the establishment in a situation like this. But I did it because I felt it was right. And that's the same type of leadership that I think the voters of New York 11 should expect from me when I'm down in Washington, D.C. I'm always going to do the right thing. I don't cave in to pressure. I don't give in to... Uh, to, to pressure from, from other people around me. I do what I think is right. I'm going to do what's right for the constituents. And I am a loyal supporter of Donald Trump's. Don't get me wrong, but it's always going to be about what's in the best interest of my people. If I disagree with the president, I'll never hesitate to say that. We appreciate that, honestly. I mean, we, we, we realize that you're, I mean, even us, there are times where we don't agree with certain things that's coming out of the White House. And that doesn't mean at all that we're not in support of the president um, at any capacity, really. Um, but we... But I, think, um, I think... I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. I, I think that what you'd expect from... What you should expect from Nicole Maliotakis is if she does somehow get down to Washington, D.C., she'll be a Trump obstructionist. I mean, she'll be... Just like most of those rhinos down there who, who follow Kevin McCarthy around and obstruct the president at every chance they get. You know, that's really 
the biggest problem in Washington right now. It's not even as much the, the liberals and the Democrats as it is these fake Republicans who obstruct the president at every chance they get. And Nicole Maliotakis would, would be one of those Republicans. She would be a, a great threat to the president and his America First agenda, regardless of the things that she said openly in the papers and on television about how she can't think of any of his policies that she admires or agrees with, how she's opposed all of his immigration reforms, how she's opposed to his construction of a wall on our southern border. Putting all of that aside, just looking at her voting record, a 48% rating from the American Conservative Union for her votes cast up in Albany is disgraceful. She votes more like a liberal than she does a Republican. <laughs> She's a wolf in sheep's clothing. She's the most dangerous type of politician there is out there. So it's so, so important that people come out June 23 and vote for me in this primary election. Because I got to tell you, I'm not so certain that she would be much better than Max Rose in Washington, D.C. I'm really not. We agree. Yeah, we agree completely with that. Um, we want to thank you for your time, um, for coming on with us and talking with us, answering our questions. Um we want to give you a minute to let everybody know where they can find you on social media. Um, beg them to not mail in their vote and to actually go place a vote on the 23rd. Um, as well as let everybody know anything you, upcoming you have, um, any appearances, things of that nature. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you, Anthony. So my website is www.joecal.nyc. That's J-O-E-C-A-L dot N-Y-C. If you're able and so willing, please make a small contribution to the campaign, $5, $10, $15, whatever you can give, every little bit helps. We don't have Kevin McCarthy behind us like Nicole Maliotakis, and we most certainly don't have George Soros behind us like Max Rose. So whatever you can give me, I appreciate it. This is a grassroots effort. Again, JoeTal.nyc. We have an additional website. Whoisnicole.com, W-H-O-I-S, Nicole.com. It's a compare and contrast website where you can see all the differences between me and my primary opponent and, and all of the charges I, I leveled against Ms. Maliotakis on tonight's show. You can see for yourself the proof and the evidence on that website. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all the same, JoeCalNYC. Give me a follow, give me a like, and reach out. Stay in touch. Uh, as far as appearances are concerned, you know, all events have been canceled. I had four fundraisers canceled this month alone because of the coronavirus. So the best place people can see me is uh, really on the streets, walking the district, both in Brooklyn and Staten Island. I'll be in Brooklyn tomorrow, uh, Bensonhurst and Gravesend. I'll be in Bay Ridge later in the week, and uh, then Staten Island, and a little bit more in Brooklyn next week. So I won't have any major events coming up. But uh, if you ever see me walking the streets, because I'll be out there, beep at me and uh, come and say hello. Sounds very good. Thank you for thank you for coming on. Um, we really appreciate your time, and best of luck to you against Nicole. Um, we have a, we have a lot of faith in you that you can get it done and get a get us a representative that we can count on in Washington. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. No problem, Joe. Thank you for coming on. Have a good night. Thanks. You too, guys. I saw her today at the reception A glass of wine in her hand I knew she was gonna meet her connection 
at her feet was a footloose man. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you might find. Yeah.